I already mentioned this past week was a little bit uh, crazy for me. It was uh, fantastic. I got to spend uh, uh, an entire day and evening and another evening, uh, part of that time with Dr. Uh, Namsu Choi and Aaron Park from the World School of Prayer, the leaders and the uh, forces behind our recent uh, Korean uh, prayer project. A couple of weeks before that, I took about a week and a half I, 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 uh, on my own. Is this coming in and out a lot? Uh, um, I'll give it just another second, and then and then and then I'll uh, I'll change the mic if I need to do that hand mic. Uh, but but uh, just to kind of get away by myself to spend some time with the Lord, uh, kind of regroup a little bit to to talk to Him and, and ask Him things about me, about you, about us. Uh, I split my time while I was away, but just sitting with the Lord, uh, spending time with the Lord in prayer and and reading Scripture, and then asking Him. Uh, for direction relative to the ministry here. And having that time, that concerted, directed, extended time away with the Lord, and then having some time this past week with our friends from the Korean Prayer Project, uh, I've been thinking a good deal about prayer lately, and I want to share with you just a couple of quick thoughts here in just a moment. Uh, But before I do that, I do want to mention that part of what I just keep hearing over and over again from the Lord of the words is it's time. I've mentioned this to you before, I'll mention it again. Uh, you may not agree with me, but I believe the vast majority of people, uh, at least in this country, probably in the world, have been far more affected by two and a half years of COVID than they recognize or than they know. And that there remains this kind of malingering, uh, lingering sort of malaise uh, that the, I believe the Lord is saying, it is time to cast that off. It is time to step out of that. It is time to step full force, full, full weight back into the things that he has for us. And a part of what that means for us as a fellowship is, is to begin gathering again in small groups outside of uh, Sunday morning. And, uh, and I believe the Lord is saying to, to step into that right away. Now, there's not a lot of time to plan for something right away. And, and so I recognize that come January, we'll have, have more time to pre- prepare and plan and have some lots of things in place. But I believe the Lord is saying we need to step into it right away. So this past Monday night, uh, Bella Miller started a, a Bible study for almost 20, yeah, almost 20 ladies. Uh, um, going through the first half of, of, of Exodus, and um, uh, we would like to quickly, if possible, provide a number of other opportunities. Uh, Pastor Matt has said he's willing to lead just a simple kind of walk through the book of James Tuesday mornings, either from 8 to 9 or 8.30 to 9.30. If you're interested in that, please let us know. Uh, my son Alex has said he's willing to lead a study for the early birds. If you've got to get to work sooner than that, 6.30 on Wednesday mornings. Uh, to walk through a book called The Deeply Formed Life. It's a book on uh, being transformed, becoming more like Jesus, incorporating certain uh, um, practices in your life. Uh, hoping to add a couple more evening sessions. I'm looking at the possibility of adding a midday session, a, a, a kind of intensive walk uh, through the book of First Peter, if you're interested in that. So if, if you're looking for this, and, and God's been putting this on your heart, and you're, you're trying to figure out where can I fit, we need you, really need you to reach out to church right away. You can call the church today. Don't do it while I'm preaching. Uh, but, but, but call today or text or email the church and, and say, these are the times that work for me. Is there something available? And uh, we want to try immediately, as quickly as we can to step into this, and then we'll have time to really prepare and, and, and launch a little bit more thoroughly in January. But, but I am excited about that. I believe it is a word from the Lord. And another thing that came from my time away with the Lord uh, relates to a new teaching series I hope to begin in two weeks. I'm calling that um, Danger, Strong Currents. Uh, and, and in this series, I want to take some time to explore some of the powerful undercurrents uh, in our culture and even in the church today 
that I believe are just pulling people under, left and right, and quite frankly are in danger of sweeping some folks out to sea forever. And uh, so that'll come up hopefully in a couple of weeks. I encourage, ask you to, to pray for me and pray for that as we continue to put that together. This morning, though, I want to take just a few minutes and, and share with you just a couple of thoughts, a couple of insights on, on the subject of prayer as God's been talking with me and dealing with me about that. And just to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me, please, as you're able, in honor of the Word of God? We're just going to read together Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 10 through 12. Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. I'll read the highlighted portions. I'll read the, the, the plain portion if you'll join me in reading the highlighted portion. That way we'll walk through the passage together. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. This is what the Bible says. When he, that's Jesus, when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Now, just by way of a little bit of background here, very, very quickly, uh, Jesus spoke these words to a small group of people who had gotten off alone with him after he had shared the parable of the sower and the seed with a massive, massive crowd of people. An enormous gathering around, so many that he had to hop in a boat and kind of get away from them on the shore to be able to speak to them. And he shared at that time the parable of the sower and the seed. If you're not familiar with that, it's a parable, first of all. A parable is basically a, a simple story, kind of like an object lesson, that's intended to make a simple point. And in this particular parable, the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus talked about a farmer who went out and, and was tossing seeds around. And, and some fell on a path, and some fell among rocks, and some fell among thorns, and some fell on good soil, but only the seed that fell on the good soil produced a crop that lasted. Today, that parable is one of the most famous, one of the most well-known of all of Jesus' many parables. But I want you to try... Those of you who know it well, I want you to try and imagine that you're, you're there hearing it for the very first time. Now, Jesus explains the parable in some detail, in quite a bit of detail, in Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 14 to 20. But he did not do that to everyone. He only did it for a small group of people. We're going to talk about them in just a minute. So imagine that you were there. For the very first time, Jesus has never told this story before. You don't have a Bible. It's not been written yet. At least the New Testament portion hasn't. You're there among this massive crowd of people, which makes it kind of, you know, kind of weird and, and kind of you know, jostling and murmuring, and it's not a quiet, easy place to listen. You're on the side of a lake, and the water's kind of lapping up the side, so, so you're having to focus. You're really, really, really focusing, trying desperately uh, to hear what Jesus is saying. And then he tells this story about a guy tossing seeds around, and, and, and after that, you begin trying desperately to decipher what it all meant. And how in the world it is supposed to be helpful to you. Apparently Jesus just said the kingdom of God has something to do with birds and rocks and seeds and soil. And to close the parable, he tells the story, and when he's done, he simply says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And with that, 
He's finished. He docks the boat, hops out, says thank you very much, and goes off to the house where he's been staying. Now, if you had paid good money to attend that particular lecture, at this point you might be considering asking for your money back. Many Christians have heard this story over and over and over again. They've read this story over and over again to the point that the difficulty of it is lost on them. But I believe the truth is, if you only heard it that one time, and you'd never seen it explained in the Bible, and and you didn't get the explanation later on directly from Jesus, I suspect you would have no idea what it meant. And fascinatingly, neither did the twelve disciples. Neither did the twelve apostles. They didn't understand it. And so it was some time later, after Jesus left this massive crowd behind, that they gathered in a smaller setting. They gathered with him alone, Mark says. And that's where they took the opportunity to ask him, Lord, what did that mean? And Jesus, in that moment, took the opportunity to answer them. According to Mark... When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. And Jesus' immediate response to them was, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. What a strange and powerful thing to say. The secret of the kingdom of God, the mystery of the kingdom of God, the privilege of knowing and understanding Deep things of God has been given to you. Now, I trust you understand this morning, not everyone has that opportunity. Not everyone has the privilege of knowing the secrets of the kingdom of God. As Jesus went on to say in the text, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, if you read that too quickly, you, you might seem to think, or might think it seems to suggest that Jesus doesn't want everybody to turn and be forgiven. That there are some people he wants to stay confused. Some people he wants to stay lost. But we know from the rest of the Bible that that's not true. And so it raises the crucial question, what is it? What is it that separates those who receive understanding of the kingdom of God and those who remain confused by it. What separates those two groups? Those who grasp the mysteries of the kingdom and those who do not. In verse 11, Jesus says again, the secret of the kingdom, the mystery of the kingdom has been given to you. To which my immediate response is, to whom? To whom? Who is the you Jesus is talking about in this statement? Who is the you to whom the secrets of the kingdom of God, the mysteries of God, are revealed? Now, in Greek, the word you is plural. So we know he's talking about a group of people, not just an individual. But who are those people? Who is the y'all to whom the secrets of the kingdom of God are given? Again, we know they weren't given to everyone because lots of people didn't get it. 
It wasn't even given to everyone who trucked around following Jesus. Multitudes, multitudes had followed him around and listened to him on the side of the lake. And none of them understood what he said. The secrets were not revealed to them. They heard the parable of the sower and the seed and went away unfulfilled. The secrets of the kingdom weren't given just to everyone who trucked around after Jesus. They weren't given somehow automatically to the twelve apostles of the Lamb. We know that because the apostles go to Him later. They, they, they go to Him secretly. They go to Him privately. They go to Him alone and say, Lord, we don't understand. And, and when He reveals the secrets, be sure you catch this, He didn't just reveal them to the twelve apostles. You don't have to be Peter or John to get this. He didn't just reveal them to the twelve apostles because the text says when He was alone, the twelve and the others around Him ask him about the parables. So there were the 12 apostles, and there was another group of people that also came to him and were there who received the secrets of the kingdom of God. Who's he talking about? Who's he talking to? He's talking to this group of people here. More specifically, I want you to understand this morning that Jesus is... Who is the you? Jesus is speaking to those who, when everybody else went home stayed and pressed into him. Took the time to get alone with him. And in that place of alone with him, began to commune and ask him things. Who gets to know and understand the secrets of the kingdom of God? Anyone who's willing to press in and ask. Who gets to know and understand the secrets of the kingdom of God? Anyone who's willing to spend time with Him alone, talking and listening and communing with Him. Who gets answers from God? The answer is the people who hang around and ask Him questions. A massive crowd heard Jesus that day. But nobody, nobody really understood Him. Most of them just shrugged and went home to dinner. And I wonder how often you do that. You go to church, you read the Bible, you toss up a quick prayer, and then before anything can ever take hold, you're off to do something else. That's what the vast majority of people did that day. But these other guys, the disciples and a handful or two of others refused to just go on their way. When the other people left, they stayed. When the other people went home, they pressed in. They got alone with Jesus. They asked him to help them understand. They asked him to please tell me more. They confessed, Lord, we don't get this but they were willing to stay until they did. As a result, this small group of people got stuff from Jesus nobody else was able to get. Some of the blessings, listen to me, some of the blessings, no, God has for you. Oh, oh I, I skipped a couple slides, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Who, who are the people? The people who stayed around him and the people who asked him. Those are the ones to whom the secrets are revealed. Next slide. Some of the blessings God has for you are absolutely contingent upon you. 
That entire massive crowd that day, all of them came out to hear and see Jesus. But most of them left confused. Only the ones who hung around after. Only the ones who pressed in and communed with him. Asking him more questions. Spending more time with him. Only those got the answers. It was the twelve. And others. You don't have to be an apostle to have this connection with the Lord of the universe. In fact, the truth is, there were plenty of other occasions we read about in the Bible where the apostles did not press in, where the the apostles did not hang around, where the apostles did not ask questions. And in those cases, they were as confused as anybody else. The quintessential example would be all the times, all the times, Jesus told them over and over and over again, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise from the dead. For example, in Matthew uh, chapter... um, Let's see, where am I? Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, the Bible says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life again. And I want you to notice the word explain. Jesus didn't just say this cryptically in passing. Jesus didn't say this in a parable. Jesus took time, the word here in Greek means to show and explain and to go into detail. Jesus took time to show them and explain to them and talk to them in some level of detail about what was going to come to pass regarding his death and resurrection. And yet, when it in fact came to pass, not a one of them seemed to understand. Not a one of them seemed prepared for it in the least. Why is that? In this most crucial of all matters relating to the life, how could they be so confused and lost? I believe the answer is predominantly found in the fact that on this issue, on this matter, they failed to press in and spend time with Jesus, to press him and ask him to tell them more. For example, Mark chapter 9. The Bible says Jesus was teaching his disciples, and part of what he taught them was this. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. And the very next verse says, But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. Over and over you read in the Gospels that Jesus tells them what's going to happen, and they're confused, they're not sure. Sometimes they would talk about it amongst themselves but not directly with Jesus. Coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, they had a discussion. What does he mean, rising from the dead? Got to be symbolic, right? But they didn't ask Jesus. They didn't press in. They didn't spend time with him. They didn't commune with him. They, They didn't connect with him over this issue. And so when it came, they were as confused as everybody else. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus says, the secret of the kingdom of God is given to you. To whom? To those who will stay, to those who will hang around, to those who will press in, to those who will ask, to those who will commit to commune with him. For me, this is a powerful picture of prayer in the life of the follower of Christ. As a follower of Jesus, you have been given the privilege and the responsibility of prayer. Whether or not you use it, Whether or not you use it well, whether or not you use it biblically, listen, 
It's going to have a, a dramatic effect on the quality of your life with him here. That's simply the truth. We have been offered access. You and I have been offered access to the very throne room of God. To the face and presence of God in prayer. We've been invited and exhorted to commune with God in prayer. Because that's how you were created to live. You were created for life with God. You were created to commune with God. Are we frozen? And prayer. And prayerful time spent reading the Bible are essential to that sort of communion. You were designed by God to live for Him and with Him. But make no mistake about it. You cannot really live for Him if you are not really living with Him. If you're not communing with Him, and in His presence, being changed by His presence, being changed by His written Word and by His Word speaking to you in times of communion and prayer. If you're not living with Him, you're going to struggle to live for Him. You were designed for that. And living with Him means, in part, living in prayer. You can think of it somewhat like being a whale. Whales live in one world, the murky, briny depths of the sea, but they breathe the air of a whole other world. They function in the sea, but they're only able to survive and thrive there because they breathe the air from the world above them. I believe that's a tremendous analogy for you and me. You, in much the same way, carry on day in and day out in the murky waters of this broken world. But you were designed by God to breathe the air of heaven. Designed by God to function in this mess, being transformed and refreshed and renewed by the air of heaven, the presence of God that you breathe, that life. That breath comes in part through prayer. In prayer, in some strange but very real way, you're allowed to lift your head up out of the waters of this world and breathe in life from another world. To commune with God and receive from Him things you can't find here. Things you can't get here. The only place to get them is in the presence of God. You breathe in a whole different kind of life. In prayer, you are meant to be refreshed and strengthened and changed in ways that will simply never happen to you if all you breathe is the air of this world. If all you take in and all you try to live by is what this world offers and what this world provides. You live in a broken, fallen world, but you were designed by God for something else. And in the place of prayer, in the place of prayerfully reading the Bible, through the presence and work of the Holy Spirit, you have access right now to the presence of God, the life of God, the grace of God, 
the changing, sustaining power of God. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus told another parable. It's about this, this wonderful, gracious, super wealthy, super generous guy who wanted to put on a massive banquet. And he sent out invitations for uh, but as the servants went around with the invitations time after time after time after time, people said, uh, I can't make that. One after another after another after another gave, gave excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. Made the thrower of the banquet angry. He ended up bringing in a whole other group of people to his banquet. And all those who made excuses at the invitation failed to receive the blessings of the banquet. Now, this parable is primarily about God's gracious invitation of salvation. It is offered to you through Jesus Christ to be changed and have new life with Him. But I believe it applies just as surely to any invitation God extends, which includes His invitation to commune with Him in prayer. That invitation is outstanding. I don't mean it's phenomenal. I mean it is continual. It is outstanding. He's offering it. The invitation comes today. The invitation comes today. It's always there in the Bible. It's always there by the Holy Spirit. He's always calling. always inviting. Why don't you come and commune with me? Why don't you come and hang with me? Why don't you come and talk? You got questions? Got questions? Why don't you come and ask me? The invitation is outstanding. The invitation is ongoing. How often do we make excuses? How often do we refuse the invitation? It's a serious thing to neglect an invitation from God. To neglect invitation to commune with God in prayer is to fail to love God as you should. To neglect the responsibility to intercede for others in prayer is to fail to love people as we should. The invitation is there, and it is in this place of prayer. When you press in and hang around and get close and press into the Lord, long after everyone else has gone home, while everyone else is enjoying dinner, where you talk with God and listen to God and ask Him things and admit to Him you don't understand, when you sit there and you wait to hear from Him, it's in this place of prayer that you gain understanding in the things of God, access to the secrets of the kingdom of God, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Where you come, that's the place where you come to know God and come to know His kingdom. It's in this place of prayer, in the prayerful reading of the Scriptures, that you begin to breathe the air of heaven, to be strengthened and refreshed and transformed by the presence of God you encounter in prayer. It's there in the place of prayer that you receive freshness and life, the freshness and life you need to succeed in the murky waters of this world. It's in this place of prayer that you walk in your high calling, where you're shaped more and more every time into the likeness of Jesus, where you're filled more and more in that place with Him and His presence and fullness, and where you become more and more in the place of prayer, the person you were called and created to be. One last thought as I close. Jesus finished up the sharing of the parable of the sower and the seed by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's important that you understand this morning, not everyone has ears like that. You're not just born with ears to hear. 
You need to be born again to have them. Or take the, the, the analogy of the whale. Whales breathe air from the upper atmosphere, but fish, if they did that, they would die. You can't just breathe air like a whale unless you have lungs like a whale. Not everyone can do that. What's my point? My point is this. Until you've surrendered your life to God through Jesus, until you've said, yes, Lord, I will follow, and given yourself to God through Jesus, until you've become born again by the Spirit of God and become a follower of Jesus, you're not just in this world. You're still of it. And all you hear are the things of the world. And all you breathe is the air of the world. You need to come to God through Jesus to be changed so that you can become the person you were called and created to be, so you can begin to access the air of heaven, even in this dark and murky world, knowing that one day where that air is coming from, you're going to go and be forever and ever and ever and ever, and it's going to be better than you can imagine. You get those breaths from time to time, but to live there forever is a whole other ballgame. You get that by surrendering your life to God through Jesus. And if you've not done that, you're still breathing water. Let's pray. Father God, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. The Bible that shows us who you are and who we are called to be and how we are called to live, and, and through which you have issued to us this glorious invitation to come and hang with you, to commune with you in prayer, to press in when everyone else is gone, and, and listen and talk and ask and abide and be changed. Father, the gift of prayer, the gift of Scripture, the gift of Holy Communion, these places where, where, where your realm and our realm intersect, we have access to you by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, to breathe in new life and be changed, to be strengthened, to carry on in the sea. I pray, Father, that we would esteem this gift, this invitation, like it should be esteemed, and we would grow in it all together. I pray, Father, as well, for anyone listening to me here or, or virtually or in any other way, who has not yet come to you by grace through faith in Jesus. Lord, let them hear that invitation that everything can be different, that they can be changed, that they can be forgiven and welcomed into the family of God as a child of God and begin to breathe the air of another world. Lord, call them by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.